Welcome to Embedded Edge with Knitting, a podcast that brings to life the stories behind today's embedded systems, technologies, and products. It's the show where you'll hear from both engineers and executives on some of the most topical news and most pressing challenges in the world of embedded system design. Here's your host, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded.com, Nitin Dahad. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Embedded Edge with Nitin. In this episode, I'm going to talk to Salesh Chittipedi of Renesas Electronics. And uh, he'll be talking a little bit about uh, the reasons for the acquisition of Panthronics, uh, uh, the de- developer of um, NFC technology, which uh, they just acquired uh, from uh, Graz in Austria. So he'll he'll talk about you know, why they've been doing that and uh, how this fits in with their acquisition strategy. A lot of it is around, Stelish uh, says, everything around opportunities to attach to the embedded processor. And uh, it's part of the whole sort of connectivity story that uh, uh, they're doing uh, um, at uh, Renesas. He also talks about why AI is going to be transforming the industry all the way from the edge to the infrastructure. And he talks about profound impact on everything we're going to do, uh, areas like memory bandwidth, power efficiency, and digital power. Following that interview, I'll talk to uh, two executives from Synopsys. Um, I attended the uh, Synopsys user group um, event uh, in Santa Clara in California, and I managed to speak to um, various people, including Arthur Goose and uh, Sasin Ghazi. But uh, in this podcast, um, you'll also hear from Shankar Krishnamurti. He'll talk about uh, cloud adoption, silicon lifecycle management, and multi-die. And uh, I mean, if you remember, uh, Synopsys launched their uh, cloud-based EDA as a service um, product last year. So I asked him a little bit about the adoption there. And then uh, there's a lot of talk around silicon lifecycle management in uh, at the event, and also a big focus on multi-die, especially with a nice keynote from Francois uh, Pidnoil of uh, Mercedes-Benz talking about why they've adopted uh, multi-bi- multi-die in um, their quest to, to go to uh, level four autonomy in Mercedes-Benz. And uh, that was probably one of the, the really fascinating keynotes at the, at the Synopsys uh, uh, user group uh, event, or SNUG 2023, as they call it. And then I speak to Stelios Diamantidis, and he's one of two... Uh, of the sort of engineering team who uh, in 2017 uh, went to management and said, look, uh, we think uh, there's a serious use for AI in um, EDA. And uh, there's some really interesting conversation with Stelios about how and why they way they thought about doing that and you know, where they're going next with AI-driven EDA. So uh, without further ado, let's go to Selesh and... Uh, Selesh Chitberi at Renesas and Selesh. So, what was um, the reason uh, for the Panthronics acquisition? Yes. So, I I mean, look, uh, this is a part of completing our connectivity story, right? So, for us, uh, it is the the local. It's the local area and the personal area networks completion uh, of what we've started out to do. We acquired the Wi-Fi Bluetooth via dialogue. And if you think about the personal area networks, you know, NFC is a very, very good fit for us uh, in terms of going with our MCU and MPU family. So everything that we've done on the connectivity side is an opportunity 
to attach to our embedded processors, which have a very strong play. It doesn't necessarily have to be a pure security play like some of our competitors are doing, right? So for us, uh, it is much more of an attach story. Uh, that's how we view the market. And if you look at uh, our capabilities today, now we have Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, ultra-wideband we're, de we're developing internally, uh, and that's something we will have uh, in the marketplace uh, in the non-too-distant future. Through an acquisition or? No, 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 it's internally, it's all internal. Okay. It's internal, I mean, the IP, certainly we rely on third parties for some of the IP that's required, but uh, it's internally developed technology. And then sub, sub gigahertz technology, primarily the Wi-Sun, is again an internally developed uh, technology, uh, if you will. Uh, and so we have the spectrum from the pan and the LAN area that we need to go after uh, and covering uh, the industrial domain and the IoT domain extremely well. Uh, relative to what we try to do. And then we looked at it, uh, we kind of looked at the competitive landscape. So if you look at it, right, the we what are the advantages of Pantronics uh, versus the other folks? Uh, and so we decided to go into the market with, with a company that would give us a little bit of a competitive advantage in the landscape. And where they do, and, and a lot of this is the verification and the validation environment most of those companies have pieced together with third-party capabilities and IDH capabilities. These folks, on the other hand, have a very good uh, suite. Uh, and then this the sine wave uh, architecture, which makes a very big difference, especially when it comes to NFC readers, is a big positive and a differentiator for us. Uh, and it plays itself out in, in many domains. But this is kind of at a high level how we looked at it. And then we, we've been working with this company for over five years now. Uh, you can sort of see the ones that we've already deployed, uh, including you know, the mobile pause solution with our RA6 uh, in the marketplace. We're developing an EV charger with near-field communications. And where that comes in is when you swipe your card, right, for your EV charging, that's where it comes into use. And then access control, uh, and then uh, we've also been working with them on the wireless charging aspect of NFC as well, uh, and has many domains. So we have a suite of winning combinations that are planned across many segments uh, with these folks. Uh, and the area that we can complement some of what they're doing is with the RA6, is our secure, secure technology uh, is a very good complement uh, to what they're doing. But over time, we will have integrated solutions much more. Uh, you'll find us do that much more uh, to address the marketplace, right? Uh, and just to just to go a little bit more, yeah, so if you look at it, right, the hardware architecture certainly has some some very big advantages for us when you look at conventional versus the PTX hardware. And it does the sine wave capability, right? Gives us some big advantages in that particular arena. So, you know, this year a MasterCard, MasterCard Visa company, small form factors and stuff. So there is a big differentiation that we see in the area. Uh, and across the board, it gives us benefits, which we thought would be helpful for us, especially being a late entrant in the marketplace. So we spent a little bit of time looking at this and, and actually figuring out where's the traction 
where can we do more by way of scaling and what do we need to do in this uh, particular uh, environment. Everything, if you think about increasingly the IoT, it's all about the user experience and the time to market. And so we, we spend quite a bit of time looking to see how we can get some of these capabilities uh, done in place. And we have automated environment that the teams have done a pretty good job in developing. And this was a small enough operation uh, and it tucked in very nicely with what we already have in Graz. So from an integration yes. perspective, we already have teams in Graz on the power side, as well as on the position sensing side that are located there. So from an integration, it makes it pretty easy for us, as opposed 50, to adding- 50 or 60 position. people. 50 or 60, Pardon, people. 60 people, yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So that that's kind of, in, in a nutshell, the, the details as to why we went after it, what we were after. I mean, we spent a lot of time uh, with these folks uh, to, to try to, to really understand, because you have to have some kind of a differentiation when you're mm -hmm. late entrant into the marketplace. Otherwise, you'll just have a me-too solution. Uh, mm -hmm. And you'll be, uh, uh, people will say, ho-hum, what are you actually thinking about when you make some of these transactions? So we spent quite a bit of time trying to understand if it will give us a differentiating advantage. And remember, we also have a wireless power technology internally as well. So in addition to wireless power, we now have NFC charging, which is a very nice complement to the portfolio that we have on the charging side of business as well. The sine wave architecture, uh, could you just tell me how and why that's important and different? There's several elements to it. I mean, first and first and foremost, right, uh, it is a, a very big advantage in terms of reducing the bomb complexity and reducing the size and the cost because you can now take out the EMI filter, which is a big part of the cost. So if you look at the diagram that I'd shared before, you can take out the EMI filter that exists in conventional readers. And then in addition, right, there's more margin, basically, uh, if you think about it, for designers, uh, due to the RX connection being direct on the antenna, means it's more sensitive, more a factor of more than too sensitive. Okay. Uh, and then, and it basically means you're delivering more than two watts of power versus 1.8 watts of power. And one, the removal of the filter, like I said before, is basically one less resonant circuit, uh, meaning an easier and faster design in. And, and the other thing is with the sine wave, you have the precise control of wave shaping for over and undershoot, right? Which leads to an easier certification process. What else is going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, look, it's an exciting, it's an exciting time uh, for the industry, right? I mean, certainly... The inventory correction and all that will be behind us. You know, uh, this is a cyclical industry. People often forget yeah. that lesson. But once we're past it, I think the long term, I truly believe what we discussed at our at the Electronica meeting when we when we spoke before. I think the world of AI is going to transform the landscape. I truly believe all the way from the edge to infrastructure arena. AI is going to have a profound impact on everything that we do. Uh, and it's not just uh, a statement that I'm making. We truly see AI uh, impacting every area that you can think of at the endpoint, at the edge, and at the core. I mean, chat GPT certainly is one element of it. 
and that's the domain of the the players like Nvidia's and and such. But for mm. us who who are for Renaissance, which is purely an attached play to those folks, we see an opportunity in terms of how can we help with the newer memory architectures and newer uh, solutions that come into the landscape, especially in terms of handling the flow of information between the processor, if you will, and the memory. Beyond, beyond HBM and beyond things like that, there's other architectures that are evolving that'll have uh, AI memory acceleration schemes uh, that we can participate in that'll have a very big uh, opportunity uh, in the landscape. Uh, we also, the other area which, which will have an impact for us is in the power domain, even with uh, the, as these AI-led, uh, uh, the AI-led ecosystem takes hold, right, where the workloads are much more dictating what happens with respect to processing. Uh, there is a good play for power and how many rails are used and so on. So digital power technology will have a profound impact for the longer term. So I would say the memory bandwidth limitations will be an important factor for the longer term. The other thing is the move to power efficiency will lead to much more utilization of digital power uh, for the longer term. Uh, and then and the industrial landscape obviously is a transformation occurring there as well with you know the it, what what we call what has been known for many years as industry 4.0 but it's actually getting old in the marketplace with robotics being much more real given the aging population globally where there is a need for robotics to take over tasks that were routinely done by humans uh, that sort of you're starting th that to, to see that play a much bigger role in the in countries like Japan, where you have it play a role in, in food services and the like already. Uh, and I think that's going to become far more prevalent as A, the cost of labor goes up, uh, and B, the, the need for having redundant tasks performed by, by machines as opposed to human beings. So that's somewhat of a transformation occurring on the industrial side. And on the, on the endpoint side, obviously, you have the effect of intelligence and wanting to have anomaly detection for various items, right? And based on the vertical that you're looking at, you'll always have a need for anomaly detection, which is where the combination between microcontrollers and embedded AI starts to play a very big role. The other thing you talked about is the um the memory wallet. Exactly. I mean, CXL and other architectures are taking a hold, whether it's CXL2 that gets traction or CXL3, it remains to be seen. Yeah. But one of those will definitely take hold. It's The time is coming now mm. to basically start uh, getting a hold of some of these things uh, and get much more traction in the marketplace. I, you know, I, I truly believe people underestimated the impact that large large language models would have in the system, right? The LLMs would. Uh, and, and basically, those are going to be transformative. I, I think in time, uh, that is going to be very, very big. And it'll, it'll impact several areas of our life. And I mean, people talk about, what do you call it, artificial general intelligence, but that's a long, long ways away, even with the existing AI technologies that we have today, I think. We've got room to run, especially now with GPT-3 and now pretty soon GPT-4.
uh, you'll start to see some of those things. And the workload specificity is going to be a very big effect uh, in this landscape, especially in the server landscape. Okay. Because I think the notion of using a CPU and throwing hundreds of CPUs at a problem is now <laughs> people are moving away, right? The the only other thing I'll mention, Nathan, is this this does the N the NFC acquisition will play itself into the automotive space as well over time mm. uh, by way of uh, you know the entry systems and by way of other schemes that we use, including charging. Uh, and so on. So we we don't we don't uh, and I also mentioned the example of the EV charging station where you need NFC charging when you swipe the card. But we are looking at this more broadly across the entire LRNSS landscape, and not just uh, in IoT alone. So our view is this will have uh, some of the things that we're doing of connectivity will impact us across the board. Uh, just the the lag is a little bit different on the automotive side versus the so IoT side. On the entry side, how does that work? And I'm going to review once we develop our UWB uh, with uh, with the third party IP as a partnership. We will have the full complement of what we need okay. for addressing the landscape, right? I mean, we have with with NFC the 13 point uh, whatever seven or 13.9 megahertz band and with the ultra wide you'll have the gigahertz range as well so i think we'll have a full spectrum and i mean for us again like i said before everything we look at is an attach attach plate okay so if it attaches to our embedded processing it makes for a good story for us we wouldn't go out necessarily on anything that we do in these areas as a standalone there'll be some selective opportunities that we go after but for us uh, these are purely attach okay all right thank you Thank you. I'm talking to Shankar Krishnamurti at the uh, Synopsis Snug event uh, in Santa Clara, California. Shankar, hi. Hi, Nathan. There's a few things that um, were talked about at Art de Goose's um, keynote this morning, and um, a couple of three areas I wanted to get in touch with you is things like cloud adoption, silicon lifecycle management, and multi-die, which is the big topic right now. But let's talk first about um, cloud. I think you launched this last year. How has that gone so far? Yeah, so we launched it uh, last year in partnership with uh, Microsoft. We introduced the industry's first uh, software as a service uh, EDA uh, model. And I would say that the interest is very high. A lot of customers are evaluating, looking at it. Uh, Generally, the SaaS uh, offering is something that small and medium-sized companies are very interested in because they don't have to worry about really looking at the compute and the storage and the networking elements uh, and really can look at EDA on tap as a, as a use model. And we have uh, several customers like Astera Labs and many others who have already embraced uh, the benefits of Synopsys Cloud in that use case. We are now actively focused on really what we call as the bring your own cloud model, where large semiconductor companies who already have uh, existing cloud relationships with cloud providers, how can they benefit from the Synopsys Cloud offering? And to that end, we have some exciting new offerings which we are discussing um, at Snug this year where we're talking about how to optimize the total cost of compute by uh, taking advantage of things like spot pricing and spot models uh, in uh, the cloud world. So typically in the cloud world, uh, you can either reserve compute uh, or you can basically also look at the dynamic nature of uh, spot instances becoming available 
uh, at often at lower rates. And so by being able to take advantage of that, you can really reduce the total cost of operation if you can effectively manage the spot compute model combined with the reserved compute model. But overall, I would say the trajectory is solid. I think the, uh, the software as a service EDA on tap model is being welcomed by the small and mid-sized companies because they don't have to worry about many aspects of infrastructure. And then for the larger companies, the bring your own cloud with the spot optimization is going to be a very intriguing uh, opportunity. Now, some of the numbers that were quoted in terms of adoption this morning were not that high. I was just wondering, what have been the challenges or the obstacles uh, for adoption? Yeah, you know, as you know, the EDA industry is making a transition from being largely an on-prem industry to now beginning to use the cloud uh, more actively, and especially SaaS in EDA has been non-existent. And we are really pioneering that use case, right? So whenever you go to a SaaS model, you have to overcome the typical questions around, is my data safe? Is my IP safe? And, you know, I think now that most industries have proven that the SaaS model does work, I think uh, all the new and emerging companies, we have very little, uh, you know, uh, discussions around those types of elements because people know that the cloud is already built to be very secure. When we look at the the bring your own cloud model where customers have already engaged with cloud providers, they were looking for kind of the next level of differentiation. And this total cost of operation and using the spot queues more efficiently is something that is very, very interesting to them. And we expect things to pick up over there. Right, let's turn to um, silicon lifecycle management. That was uh, a big focus in the keynote at Snug. What are the key to, uh, sort of issues that uh, the embedded world and the electronics world should be looking at? You know, as you know, Nitin, right? I mean, in uh, uh, high uptime applications like automotive, uh, like the data center, this you know this term called five nines reliability is being used. Ninety nine point nine 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 percent availability and uptime. And uh, while the software world has done a lot about that, uh, from the silicon perspective there's a lot of opportunity. And that's really where we come in. Uh, So our approach is really to inject monitors and sensors into the design uh, in a very PPA neutral way, and then really harvest the data from those monitors and sensors to track the health uh, of the device over the life cycle of the operation. And the approach has been welcomed by leaders in both the automotive and the data center space. We are working with many of them to integrate our uh, silicon lifecycle management architecture into their uh, next generation devices. And I think, you know, uh, I see the future, as you saw in Art's keynote today, is going to be fleet management of devices. You already see that in the case of like t- Teslas and EVs and so on, but it's really going to be not just, uh, you know, just cars, but it's also going to be data center silicon, right? All that needs to be managed, monitored, tracked, and uh, needs to be predicted uh, in terms of failures and so on. So. Right. Let's turn to multi-die, which is the, the other big topic. You know, some people call it chiplets, but I think, yeah, we, we've covered this in a previous pod- podcast with Synopsis as well. Tell me uh, a little bit about uh, some of the things that we've been talking about here around connectivity. Yeah, I think the, the big disruption that's happening, as you saw in Art's keynote today, is that the pace at which the... A number of connections per unit area is exploding thanks to the fantastic work being done by advanced packaging uh, research teams across the industry is really opening up this whole multi-die chiplet uh, world. And the day is not far where, you know, you're going to see essentially uh, the migration to a chiplet-based architecture where rather than working on IPs and subsystems, you're going to see chiplets getting created 
often maybe at different technology nodes and then getting assembled into very complex um, systems. So because of the number of connections, the traditional approach of using packaging tools and PCB tools is going to really break down because they just don't have the capacity. And so we are quite excited with our direction, which is really what um, we call a chip out approach, where we've built on our uh, chip level and SOC level infrastructure to, to address this problem. Of course, systemic complexity runs riot in this domain because you have to worry about thermal and stress and other types of uh, effects as well as just all the mechanics of putting these complex systems together. Uh, but really, I mean, we have gotten strong validation for our direction from all the market makers in this area. And we are working with pretty much all the leading companies right now in terms of building the next generation of uh, chiplet-based design. What are you working on right now for next year's Snug and, and what, what's keeping you busy? No, so I mean, as the leader for the EDA tools group at Synopsys, this synopsys.ai vision is something we are super excited about. Today you heard about applying AI to verification, to test, to manufacturing, circuit design. So there are many more other applications that you're going to see from Synopsys in the coming uh, months uh, leading up to next Snug. We are also uh, very excited about the whole multi-die evolution, right? I mean, I think you're going to see a large percentage of designs moving to multi-die by the end of this decade. And so we are actively working on building out those capabilities that they need uh, in terms of enabling those chips to happen. And then, like we just discussed, the whole lifecycle monitoring, pretty much the high uptime is going to become a, a requirement in many markets. And so we are working really at the inception of that with the architects, because it's a, it's a fascinating area where you have to intersect IPs, which is the monitors and sensors, uh, EDA, how do you integrate them into the design without losing PPA, and then big data analytics, where you have to get like really large reams of data and be able to process it efficiently to determine anomalies and uh, other types of um, predictive monitoring types of requirements. So lots going on. <laughs> um, and in, in these areas, Art this morning talked about the Tour de France and uh, keeping close to the three competitors in front. Who are your biggest competitors in this area? No, so we, firstly, we respect all our competition. Uh, as you know, both uh, Cadence and Siemens are very strong in many of these domains. Uh, but, you know, our approach always has been, rather than looking at the competition, we look at the market makers, right? And our goal is to strap ourselves to the fastest movers in the semiconductor industry, uh, run ahead of them in terms of their requirements, deliver solutions, and then everything else works itself out. So that's our approach. Thank you very much, Shankar. Thank you, Nitin. I'm speaking to Stelios Diamantidis of uh, Synopsis. Stelios, hello. Hello. Let's talk a little bit about your journey to developing the, the new AI-driven EDA suite that, that um, uh, Synopsis has launched. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. And I think you used the right word. It's a journey. Um, and it's a journey that uh, I've been privileged to be part of from the very beginning. When we started thinking big, when uh, the AI world really started registering, I think, across domains beyond EDA and beyond chip design, um, the days where um, the uh, AlphaGo system was beginning to beat uh, humans at games of strategy and decision making, and then, and then fast forward to today, where we have some very exciting new pieces of technology we announced uh, just now at Snug. Really, it's, it's a journey of what if. What if we were able to do this? And then built on top of that, another what if. What if we were able to, on top of that, do something else? Um, it really started with a very specific customer problems that 
are extremely time and effort intensive. This is where engineers interact with tools over multiple iterations, long runtimes, need to decouple data from results, understand well the evolution of a design, then make decisions, orchestrate new experiments, and then do it again and again and again as they're trying to explore a practically unfathomable space of chip design. And in this case, we're talking specifically about physical design, the, the process of creating actual layouts that will result in manufacturable chips. Uh, now we're talking several years ago, we're talking the late uh, 2010s. And from there, the solutions, seeing them solve problems, be it in clock design, in floor plan optimization, selecting uh, voltage domains, all the way to today, you know, more elaborate problems like partitioning and allocating memories and, and creating entire blocks of high-performance microprocessors really was built on this cascade of, you know, can we do more, can we do more, can we do more? And we've been impressed in the way that AI technology has really met EDA technology to create something really special. I think it was 2017-ish when you sort of went to your superiors and you said, well, look, you and I think a colleague said, okay, we, we, we think this is something that needs to be done. What made you... What made you sort of think that? Was there something specific customer-wise? I mean, what did you want to do uh, with this project? Because it was a blue sky project. Absolutely. And and I think you, again, framed it very well. It is really a push and a pull. And and in, in, in some cases, when you're dealing with technology, you either have a strong pull from a customer need, but you can't quite match it with something disruptive in technology. Other cases, you may have a fantastic new technology where really you can't quite connect it with a customer need. And it becomes very special when you have both happening at the same time. And this is exactly what happened back in 2017. We observed that customers were spending, and I quote one of my colleagues, half a CPU century trying to orchestrate design flows that essentially explore this vast spaces, vast problem spaces of chip design. Now, remember, they're using very, very complicated, very elaborate optimization capabilities already available in the tools to do so. And yet these high-level decisions that they need to make to, to get to the target that they need to achieve, that's where the 20, the 25 years of experience comes in. So we saw folks spending a lot of compute and a lot of time and really struggling in making a, a very large volume of small decisions leading up to a few extremely consequential decisions. That's really where the pool came from. But then at the same time, if you don't have something to fulfill the need, then, then you're stuck with a, with a pool. And certainly this has been the case for, for a few years before AI. But AI came in to be the perfect partner to that pool. All of a sudden we have uh, algorithms that can drive towards decision-making and then married with pattern matching that allows us to essentially not only make a decision but also match the, the decision-making environment. So that creates, again, a, a, a sort of back-and-forth effect that, that leads us to an optimization solution. And um, what we have today is exactly that. It's the ability to describe a problem and sort of hand it off to your AI assistant. And that AI assistant can go run potentially even for, for quite a bit of time, but then come back to you with meaningful answers to, to, to build the next stage of design. Uh, coming to today, um, what, what are the things that you're seeing in industry and uh, customers uh, that are really applicable to this? I, I think with DSO.ai, you've already had 160 uh, tape-outs. This is the whole design suite now. What are the things you're seeing right now? Uh, absolutely. 160 is, for us, 
well past what we call the maturity point for any given tool and any given technology. So we are, we're very confident that we are in the mainstream of AI right now. Now, as you said, DSO AI or design space optimization AI was our lead into the space. We applied it to some really interesting problems with physical design and we have the customer results and the, and the data in the field to actually show exactly how it, it was able to achieve results. But now, today, with the announcement of what I colloquially call, you know, DSO's cousins, um, the other space optimization technologies, be it verification or test and alluding to a lot more, what we're seeing perhaps for the first time in, in EDA and, and chip making is a, a, a force of goodness, a force of productivity that applies simultaneously to practically all the problem domains across chip design, right? In, in Historically, just by means of comparison, we've seen really nice solutions come in at different times in verification, in synthesis, in architecture, in emulation, but certainly not all at the same time. Well, that's what we're observing today. And I think the effect is of, of doing it all at the same time is larger than the sum of the parts. Now, uh, 2017, you came with a problem and, uh, and sort of six years later, you've got a product. What are you working on now for, for six years' time? <laughs> well, hopefully it's not going to be six years because remember, the, uh, the pace of AI research is certainly outpacing Moore's Law still. So we're seeing incredible technologies. And in fact, the, the exciting thing is that maybe in 2016, they sounded still a little sci-fi and you asked me earlier, what did my superiors and what did the journal community think when we said, hey, we could do this for chip design? Well, uh, excitement and criticism, of course, all in one package. Um, but today it's a different story. Today people are in, in their, uh, interacting directly with AI in their everyday lives. Uh, you know, In this conversation, you probably used several models just to, re to record the podcast, right? And that's really, really cool. It makes people believe. And I think the next breakthrough is not going to be six years out. And the next breakthrough is to really be able to go up the level of abstraction and ask AI to do more for us. And, and, and by more, I mean really deliver complete results that we can then go ahead and make even higher decision making and, and put in our flows much, much faster. Ah, you mean a chat GPT first chip design? I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm a big fan of chat GPT and um, I, me and my family, we, we experiment with it, with it daily. Well, I think there's tons of opportunity there for the entire industry and, and we're certainly driving, I think, that, that forefront of exploration there. Stelios, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of this edition of Embedded Edge with Nitin. I'm Nitin Dahad. I'll see you next time.